Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris and this week I'm looking for the best book about Vermont. To help me are two qualified high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. You know, you keep saying, you keep saying qualified like you it's like a that? little bit I of added a that in. dig. Yeah, I noticed. Right. It I always feels like a dig. It's especially because he throws up the scare quotes when he says it. Like oh, yeah. he actually does <laughs> oh, quotes yeah. with his yeah. hands, which yeah, I yeah. think is rude. Nick, we're on video. I think it comes through in the tone. So I think... <laughs> It doesn't need to be a video podcast. Do you guys think, sorry, this is, we haven't even introduced ourselves, but I want to ask you, do you think the internet, would the internet be better if we had a sarcasm font? This is brought up every now and again, we, but people talk, all people caps, talk about this. No, it's been done. No, all, all caps, caps is yelling. All bold, underlined. I like, I <laughs> mean, I see in forums all the time, people do the slash S, like yeah. the N sarcasm. Yeah. I think that's great. That's, I've, I've seen that too, but it's not widespread. I've used that in my yeah. classes and my students are like, What's that? What yeah, is students that? don't know things like that. <laughs> students don't know. Students. That's why they're called students. Well, anyway, my <laughs> name is Joe Holshu. I'm a high school English teacher. And Nick, if you are looking for a book about the Green Mountain State, Vertmont. Do you know what Vertmont means? Green Mountain. Oh, sweet. Yeah, Verde. That makes sense. Yep, blew yeah. my mind. I, just one Green of the many Mountain, things I learned. Verde. About it's named after. Um, there was a big mountain that. A train full no, of salsa. Not was, real. Was Introduce your books. Over, and no, the train it's just a stupid. Shut up. Yeah, everywhere. I don't know if I said my name. Joe Holshu talking about Vermont. I brought a book this week called "The Animal One Thousand Miles Long," and it's about a guy that saw Vermont a bunch of different ways. You sound impressed by this book. Mm, I was. It was a pretty great book. I liked it. Go remember, ahead. And remember, Ian, you're just supposed to say the title of your book. All right, <laughs> whenever you're ready, and go. We have always lived in the castle by Shirley Jackson. <laughs> I'm a high school English teacher. I brought uh, an amazing Shirley Jackson book. I'm turning into a Shirley Jackson, Shirley Jackson stand. I've taught the lottery for years, um, which is it's a fun story because just freaking stu- students hate it. Students lose it. Yeah, it stymies them. Um, mm-hmm. We I read The Haunting of Hill House for last year's Spooktacular. Um, mm-hmm. This book. Oh my goodness. People say it's her best book and I would agree. It's amazing. It is it is incredible. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> Have you guys ever been to Vermont? <laughs> I want to go so bad. It seems uh, like a really cool place to be. Is this the mm. year? <laughs> no. Pretty sure it's not. Pretty sure it's not. Um, Vermont is a Vermont is a cool state, and New Hampshire is a cool state, and Maine are cool states. Is a cool state because they're technically maybe part of New England, but they're not really New England. Like mm-hmm. they're kind of a separate sort of New England. They're really tucked in there in the armpit of America, aren't they? No, no, no. The armpit of America is Gary, Indiana. Is that by, well, it's kind of Washington, D.C. I mean, if you're looking at the map. I'm sorry. Are you, are you thinking of America anatomically or figuratively? I'm looking, I'm, I drew ahead on North Dakota. <laughs> all right. Uh-huh. Obviously, yeah. Florida's the penis. How are you getting D.C. as the yeah. armpit all the way over there? No, I can see it. He's like, it's like America if it's waving its arms around. Yeah. Right? Like flagging a cat. Heads on top. Mexico's our weird, enormous left leg, and the Gulf of <laughs> Baja California is our right leg. Yeah, but we don't have Mexico. Mexico isn't America. Well, we don't have Mexico yet. Oh, dear. Well, welcome, Lithead Seed or No Lit, a weekly, as we call it, strongly podcast where every week we pick a theme and two high school English teachers, Ian and Joe, bring book recommendations. And just to upset one of them, we pick a winner and it works. And we have some show rules to keep us on track. Rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers today, gentlemen. Rule number two, omit needless words, Joe. Ugh. And rule number three... <laughs> Only winning matters. Of course, we also have shadow rules as befits this week's spooky, shadowy, mountainy theme. Uh, And and just the number one shadow rule is don't pick the roses from Uncle Julian's rosebud. Foreshadowing. Yep. I just love, you know, Joe, you and I, we 
We play with virtuosic hands upon the minds of students as if they were violin strings. Uh-huh. And I love That's that I we've we've marshaled the skill to just completely annoy and terrorize Nick Argyris. It's not tough. Um, I've been to Vermont. Am I the only one that's been to Vermont? Oh, yeah. Nick, I'm Wait, sorry. Oh, are you grouchy because you we never asked, turned that question back on you? Mm, hey, Nick, have you ever been to Vermont? What was it like? It's uh, it's like kind of it's like a prettier Wisconsin. You shut your mouth. There's nothing prettier than Wisconsin. I uh, no, it's ugh, they got mountains though. You know what I mean? Wisconsin has mountains. Well, yeah, no, but where? Not really. You know, north up north. <laughs> I used to sled at a place called Mount Misery. Uh, so that's a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> not a great name, Ian. And that's the mountain you want me to go to? I don't think so. <laughs> Nick, whereabouts in the in the state were you? I don't. I don't know. Somewhere. It's not very okay. big. It's, it's only like 250 miles tall. Like you could, you could, um, you could traverse the whole dang thing, Nick. Yeah, I didn't do that. I think I was there for a hot minute. It's very close to Canada. Yeah. Do they say a boot in Vermont? I don't Almost think certainly. so. I don't think they do because wow. probably for on purpose. You know, if you're does this come up in your books? If you're that close to Canada, you probably strongly resist saying a boot. Yeah, you think they're like consciously aware of it. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> it's gonna yes. get them like some sort of Last of Us plague. <laughs> uh, Joseph, do you want to tell me? Uh, take thirty seconds it. and tell me what your book is all about. All about in 30 seconds. Sure. Nick, the phrase an animal a thousand miles long is the title of my book. It's Aristotle's and it refers to a sprawling body that cannot be seen its an entirety from a single angle. It's something too big to know as a whole. For Leith Tonino, that animal is his home state of Vermont. This book is him setting out to see the animal. He takes a 20-day hike, a 500-mile bike ride, a 36-hour hitchhiking tour, 260 miles in a canoe, 10 days swimming. Basically, he crosses and crisscrosses Vermont over the course of like a calendar year and tries to get a picture of what exactly his home state is is i liked it a bunch it was published in 2018 it's like 200 pages long how fast is 200 pages for you how fast is 200 pages for you it can be quite fast um a couple days Uh uh-huh ian take 30 seconds mary Catherine blackwood lives in the figurative ruins of her family's grand estate in vermont the house is still intact but the family is mostly dead Murdered six years ago when someone put arsenic in the sugar. Only her sister Constance, who doesn't go out in public, and her uncle Julian, whose wits are wandering, live in the house. Along with Mary Catherine, of course, whose point of view we follow in the novel We Have Always Lived in the Castle. At first, Mary Catherine seems like another harmless eccentric, but the arrival of a greedy cousin reveals her true, terrifying form. Uh, I'm sorry, one more time the names of your books? Yeah, my book is called The Animal 1000 Miles Long. My book is called We Have Always Lived in the Castle. Yeah, I have some follow-up questions for Ian right away. Absolutely. Uh, first, first of all, love the name Constance. Feels really old-fashioned, but just a couple weeks ago, Nick and I were at a wedding of a person named Constance. Sweet, let's call them out uh, on air. <laughs> yep, well, I don't think she listens. How was the uh, wedding? <laughs> was it a good wedding? Is all right. Joe, where are you going okay. with that? Uh, I had a second connection to make with Ian's book. (laughs) (laughs) These are all the ways that the book overlaps with my life. (laughs) A lot of what I do is free association here. Nick, it'll be your turn next. Be ready. This is uh, Joe has tapped into a rich vein. Let's let's talk about your book uh, first here, Ian. I don't want to lose this energy. Here's the deal. I, I love this book. Okay. I adored this book. As I was reading it, I had the sinking feeling. This is going to be very, very difficult to talk about on the podcast for a couple of reasons. First of all, it's genre. Oof. It's genre is hard, hard, hard to describe. And that's one of the ways we get a handle on books. Second, it is a mystery and it's gothic. And so I, I'm going to deliberately avoid some spoilers here. And that means it's not going to... It's not going to be as juicy. Your experience, your listening experience is not going to be as juicy as my reading experience was. But my goodness gracious, I, this was this was kind of unputdownable. It's 200 pages. It was I blazed through it. It was it was really, really fun. Because when we talk about gothic, when we talk about gothic, we're talking like 
there's a spooky monster or like, like there's something spooky going on. Like there's I think a, there's of like, a big old house. Yeah. There's yeah. a big old house. Um, the, the big deal with this book, the biggest deal with this book is it's, it's incredibly well executed, unreliable narrator. So our main character, Mary Catherine Blackwood, um, everyone calls her Mary cat. And so I'll call her that. Um, Meerkat. Mary cat. M E R R I C. I'm not calling her meerkat. Okay. <laughs> do, some, um, do some people call her meerkat affectionately? Nope. Nope. Not in the book. They, they not really in the don't. Book. No, that's but not. But she's really. unreliable as a narrator. So I mean, maybe the narrator? she doesn't tell us about it. So yeah. um, she is not a the conventional unreliable narrator in that she's not like deliberately misleading us. A lot of times, um, yeah. some some mystery stories, you know, like are told from the perspective of the killer. And so when it is revealed at the end of the story that this has all been the killer talking, like, oh shoot, they were they were deliberately keeping us in the dark to further their own ends. Mary cat is different because she, her point of view is just her own and it doesn't always match reality, but sometimes it does. She kind of has some mental illness issues. It's suggested. You don't even, you say suggested. You don't even, you don't know what's going on at all when you're reading this. Well, this is the thing though. This is the thing. (laughs) There is enough here. There is enough here that we, we understand like we're getting a, a a certain slant on reality. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's very insightful about people. So there's this character who shows up and like right away she clocks him like this guy is greedy. He is coming to ruin our lives and take our stuff. And her sister and her uncle are like, oh, come on in, cousin Charles. Y'all good. We like you. And Mary Cat's like, uh-uh, nope. I need to do more witchcraft to keep this guy away because he is bad news. She's the only one who clocks it. So she is insightful and she understands things about the world. There is enough of that that we we trust her but we also know that we can't trust her too far we're teaching uh our, our to our ninth graders right now we are in our to kill a mockingbird unit and in to kill a mockingbird like you get everything through the eyes of scout who at the beginning of the book is a six-year-old girl and she is like she doesn't have mental illness but she is unreliable in i think sim a similar-ish way like like as a reader you like you get a knack for figuring out when scout is getting yes. things wrong. Yes. Like there's some things you can definitely trust her about. And some things you're like, Oh, scout doesn't get this. Yeah, and yep, she's exactly. my favorite. Yeah. Yep. I think, I think there's a similarity there where it's, it's kind of a constant deciphering process as you read, like as you read, you kind of get into these rhythms of, okay, this feels like it's expressing something that's objectively true about this world. Okay, this is Mary Cat kind of um, imagining things, or um, kind of having having a less less of a touch with what we would conventionally refer to as reality. The book begins with Mary Cat telling us that her family is all dead, ah. um, and <laughs> she lives. She lives. She has. She has two. She has two living relatives: her sister Constance and her uncle Julian. Um, uncle Julian is the harmless old eccentric. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah, so, so she, the, the book starts off with her saying like, my family is all dead. She, we, we, we get to see her life with her sister. Constance was accused of the murder and is oh super, she was on trial. Um, so Constance is super agoraphobic. We're going to talk more about that in a minute, in a minute. Uncle Julian, uncle Julian was, was a victim of the arsenic poisoning, but he only got a little bit. And so he's, he's recovering or not. He's sort of. His wits are wandering, too, because of that. Um, This family, this Blackwood family, it was like a grand old family in this small Vermont town. And so the villagers kind of look at them with suspicion. They live in this big, scary house on the edge of town. So it's a very sort of gothic, uh, a very gothic environment. Um, The family is all dead. You've got three people living in this big old fancy house. The village is distrusting um, they don't really want to leave. Um, people don't really want them to leave. And then cousin Charles shows up and it all starts to go downhill. Okay. Who's cousin Charles? Cousin Charles is a cousin mm-hmm. who was estranged uh, from the family. Uh, but after a while, um, he, his, his, he says, he tells us his dad let him kind of reestablish a connection with the family, with the Blackwoods. Turns out pretty quickly he is um, out for their money. He's trying oh, to get their money. Oh, classic mm. uncle. You cousin? know, this is the, is this the Adams family? Is that what's going on here? This is cousin Fester. Well, this is this is really weird because like the whole setup feels almost cliche. 
you know, big old spooky house. It's not, the house is not haunted except for by memories. It's like, there are, <laughs> there are just, there are just people. There are just people who live in this house. Um, Mary cat is a strange person. Constance is pretty nice, but she's terrified. Ter- like she has panic attacks when visitors show up. Uncle Julian, so he was poisoned with the arsenic, didn't quite get him all the way, but his life is constantly rehashing the day of the the poisoning, and he has notes, and he's constantly like, I've got to get my notes in order, and I will finally write the definitive account, proves who did it, why they did it. It's a, it's, it's a, it's almost, like I say, almost a cliche cast of characters, but somehow, somehow Jackson makes it not cliche. It sounds like this is pretty much like this is much as you could tell us about <laughs> without getting there's into- a point. There is an absolutely there is a narrative point that I'm not going to like a point yeah, of no yeah. return. I think so often with books that are unput downable, like you can kind of summarize them without spoilers by being like, oh, stuff happens, right? Like cousin Charles shows up and then stuff happens. Right, and right, I right. can't tell you about that stuff because I will ruin this book. Part of the way that that I think Jackson makes this so good is that this is like the most slow burny book ever, which is weird to say for 200 pages. Yeah. But the, the slow burn, it, this is this is incredible slow burn. She starts off very, very unassuming. But Jackson kind of does this thing where she just kind of drops a little detail here. She drops some foreshadowing here. Eventually you're on the hook and you're like, I trust what Jackson is doing. So I think everything matters. Everything is significant and everything kind of is significant. And these tiny details sort of fill out the picture almost like a mosaic more and more until eventually we have this full and horrifying picture. I'm a sucker for this, this kind of slow, slow, careful world building. This is kind of what this is maybe your Hobbit fact of the day. J.R.R. Tolkien refers to this as mythopoeia, the, the, the building, the building of a mythos, the building of a world um, where the kind of building the world allows you to see the mythos and the mythos eliminates things about the world. When this is done very pragmatically, it's super obvious. Like think about the MCU shared universe, everything connects and everything is kind of pushing you to buy more tickets and (laughs) things. It's very like that, that obvious stuff is super, super pragmatic and kind of, kind of, kind of soul crushing. When it's done artfully, I think it's it's irresistible. So Tolkien does this, and I think Stephen King kind of does this with like all of his interconnected stories in Maine, where you get the the general sense like Maine is a terrifying yeah. place. He never he never <laughs> really comes out and and says that, articulates that so clearly. But th- this is I, I'm fascinated by this this idea that this myth making mythopoeia, this might even be part of deeper than storytelling. This is part of humanity. So we we confront what is unexplainable in the world. We confront things that we don't understand. And what humans do is we try to we try to make sense out of that. We try to make yeah, we, patterns. We pattern match. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. And so this process that we're that she is kind of guiding us through, she is presenting us with the raw materials and just enough help to connect the dots. And so we feel those dots connecting and there is a sense of a world falling into place. Not that she's expositionally showing us, but that she's suggesting and we're connecting the dots on our own. And we are almost kind of implicit in that process of world building, of myth creating. Um, I have two questions. And yes, I think I have two you answers. Could, you, well, well you, I actually want you to answer whichever one is more interesting to answer because they're pretty different. So we have an unreliable narrator. We have this gothic spooky house. We have this uncle show up out of nowhere. Is this a mystery? Like, is this like, does this invite you to solve it as a mystery? That's my first question. And then my second question is, how Vermonty is this book? Like, you learned a lot about Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> I knew. I um, Nick. Nick likes that question. I can answer. I'll answer both because the first one's pretty pretty easy. At, if we had to boil down, boil this down, it is a mystery. There are dead people. We don't know at first who 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 killed them. Gradually over the course of the story, it is revealed who killed them. I'm not going to tell you who. It's not like there's a, a detective, but yeah, it's a mystery. It's a gothic mystery with sprinklings of. Well, Uncle um, Junius is putting it all together. Well, he. Yeah, I guess. I guess you could say he kind of has this role. He plays the role of the. 
the detective, um, he doesn't do a very good job because he's, as I say, <laughs> well, eccentric. But um, uh, but the, the question, eccentric. the question about how Vermonty this is, is, is really interesting. So I went into this expecting a super Vermonty book. And I'll be honest. Why? Why? So, so Jackson lived in Vermont. She lived in a town called North Bennington. And everyone agrees she based this book and this town off of North Bennington and her experiences living in North Bennington. And I was expecting there to be people with Vermont accents, people <laughs> singing the national hymn of Vermont, the state hymn right. of Vermont. Saying a boot. Yeah, like I was sort of expecting more of this. And you could potentially, as with a lot of Jackson stories, you could transplant this to any any small, slightly creepy village in the in North in, in New England. The armpit of America. So this would work. This would work in Maine. This would work in New Hampshire. I think this would work pretty well in Massachusetts. Um, maybe not Rhode, Rhode Island. Island. Maybe not Delaware. Rhode Island or Connecticut. Um, maybe not New York, but certainly like the, the northern Nevada. <laughs> Uh, absolutely not. No, oh, they would never be wearing cowboy hats and, and big beards or like, or like that mm. region, that province. I guess I'm just not getting it. It's 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 less explicitly Vermonty than I expected. And yet, if you know, apparently, if you know North Bennington, if you know, like this, this place where she lived, it clicks. And the cool thing is that she has said Oh, yeah, totally. Those two those two main characters, um, Mary Cat and Constance, those are two parts of my personality. Like, this is me. I wrote myself into this book. I based this book on um, sort of being ostracized. She had a, a husband who is a Jewish man and they lived in this town and they experienced all this like anti-Semitism and sort of he was a professor and this anti-intellectualism and kind of she turns she turns this these experiences these very very specific experiences into an incredible book Ian who's Shirley Jackson Shirley Jackson is uh was an American author who um is primarily known for her short story The Lottery where a village, a creepy village kills somebody oh. every year to satisfy the gods. Maybe is this the basis for um, Hunger Games? No, the scourge, the the purge. The, is this the basis for the purge? Um, I don't know. Maybe 2003's hit series. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there, there absolutely is a purge. But it's not like it's not like you can go do whatever you want. This is like every year one person gets chosen by lottery to be killed. And that sacrifice keeps the town having a good Ooh, harvest. Rain gods. Got it. Yeah. Right. And, and the, the, the cool, the creepy thing about the story, I always ask my students, like, when is it set? It doesn't really have any time markers. It could take place in. 1730 or uh, 1960 because it sounds like the town then starring M. Yeah. Night Shyamalan uh, the village the village damn it ah, it's not Ben Affleck's the town no <laughs> different <laughs> different if you asked me when the lottery was set I've taught it several times and I would have been like I don't know 1700s yeah. like colonial America is what I always kind of imagined it as who's Shirley it's, Jackson um, famous American author who wrote a bunch of spooky mild uh I would say spooky, mildly, uh, mildly supernatural stories. She wrote The Haunting of Hill House, which I brought several oh. months ago. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, yeah. she 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 was primarily known as a short story writer. She did a lot of kind of um, a lot of autobiographical fiction or some autobiographical fiction. She died pretty young, um, died at uh, 48, I think. And her work is just she, she kind of it's not one hit wonder. It's like she showed up and she dropped like three or four amazing albums and then retired. It's that kind of situation. I can't think yeah. of someone off the top of my head who's done that. But it's that kind of thing where you're like, if so and so had lived or if so and so had had not retired, like they would be at the top like they would use the Kurt Cobain of writing. <laughs> That's great. Yep. Fair. Yep. Fair yep. enough. Great. Fair enough. Like like. The trajectory you see, if she had stayed, if like she hadn't passed, she was, it was like a, it was like health issues. If she hadn't passed away, I mean, we'd be talking about her as one of the greatest, maybe one of the greatest authors of the 20th century. Um, but she's dead. So bummer. <laughs> ah, dang. Bummer. 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 I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last thing I want to say about this book, and then I'm going to stop because you guys are 
really making this easy. Um, <laughs> this book, so, so these two main characters, Mary Cat and Constance, sisters, um, they are they are agoraphobic. When I say agoraphobic, what does that mean? They don't like that really furry type of bunny rabbit. That uh, one that is that, ang- that is angoraphobic. A uh, close. Right. Okay. Close? Joe, it's your I, guess I, now. Joe, am I responsible for giving a funny answer or actually answering it? You that's, should do an actual that's answer. That's always okay. your decision. Yep. Okay. In that case, I will actually answer it. Um, if you were agoraphobic, you were afraid of the outside. You were afraid to like enter the wider world. Right. Right. So they live at the end of a long lane, kind of far distant from the rest of the town. Uh, Mary Cat goes into town once every once every week. Um, but that's it. That's that's their only they have a neighbor who shows up every now and then to visit with them and they always hate the visits. Um, they avoid yeah. kind of contact with the public world. Constance was accused of killing her whole family with arsenic and the sugar. That kind of that kind of soured her on social interaction. Because every time you go out, every time you go out, people are just looking at you and being like, oh, that's the sugar girl. Like she killed exactly. her family. They're exactly. whispering behind their hands. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't like that either. I think for many of us, not probably everyone but for many of us agoraphobia is is something we 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 all we may maybe many of us have to different extents this is a really weird book because their agoraphobia is a it not not a good thing it's a beautiful thing jackson herself (laughs) jackson herself struggled with agoraphobia later in her life and she was prescribed some pretty dreadful medicine to kind of like help with it and it didn't help lithium uh a barbiturate barbiturates actually which are apparently a terrible thing but so jackson had this sort of this sort of this issue herself and so she writes this book with her these two women are her basically um uh, uh versions of her of her personality and oh, overt metaphor coming in hot well this is good like their agoraphobia <laughs> is protects them it's beautiful yeah. like this is this has been called an agoraphobic fantasy there, there is a happy <laughs> oh. ending is this a good book for somebody who's been locked in their house for three years? I think I think Shirley Jackson would have loved. She would have loved lockdown. She would have <laughs> like, yeah, baby, give me that DoorDash. <laughs> it's actually weird because there's a there's a form of DoorDash at the end of the book. Um, I'm not going to say any more about that. But but DoorDash DoorDash situations DoorDash does sort is this of an ad show up? Yeah, this week brought to you by Uber Eats. Ian, did you like this book? Sounds like yes. I adored this book. This is a book. So Joe and I have talked about how like when we finish a book, sometimes he and I, we immediately start scheming how to teach it. I don't know in what context I would teach this book, but it is an absolutely like platonic ideal, perfect novel. It's got like a trim cast of characters. They're unique. There's main characters. There's minor characters. There's more or less a single setting. There's a great sense of atmosphere. There is a slow burn story that's like just popping off enough. That you get to like follow it. There's a mystery. You get kind of you have to think big thinky thoughts. I I adored this book. I think I think it's tight. There's no extra flesh on these bones. It's just it it has a thing that it, it set out to do and it does it really, really well. I think this is Jackson's last novel. Um, she published this and then um, uh, a few years later she passed away. And what a way to go out. It's a great way to, to end. Joseph, tell me about your large beast. All right, Nick. One of the central themes of my book, like one of the central themes of this collection of essays that Leith Tonino writed, wrote, uh, wrote, that Leith Tonino wrote about coming back to his home state of Vermont is the bigness of small places, right? Like how a small place can be incredibly big and complex. So like when he writes this title, The Animal 1000 Miles Long, it is both, I think, like, um, a, a literal translation of that, but also like kind of syntactically mirrors that, right? Like here he has this long and unwieldy title to describe this like kind of surprisingly unwieldy place. Vermont? Vermont. <laughs> so I, I asked Ian um, how Vermonty his book is. And hey Joe, is, how well, Vermonty is yeah. your book? Yeah, uh, my Vermonti is my my, my Vermonti is super booky. No. <laughs> thank, oh, thank you for oh, thank you for thank asking you. Ian. Thank oh. you. That's a lovely question. 
Um, no, my book is super Vermonti. Um, the premise of my book is uh, Leith Tonino, it, first of all, has a killer name. Um, he is a young guy. He grew up in Vermont, like kind of on the shores of Lake Champlain, which is this massive vertical lake that it's weird to say vertical, I guess. Uh, this massive north-south lake that, that crosses the Canadian border. He is about my age, but one of the things I admire about him is he's like social media allergic. Like there is very oh, little information about this guy on the like in the world. So these are the things I know about him. And they're all taken from various like author bios. He is a writer from Vermont. He has worked as a wildlife biologist in Arizona, All right. a blueberry farmer in New Jersey, and a snow shoveler in Antarctica. That seems like a big job, guys. I, that also seems like a little bit. Um, Let's talk about that for a while. A, a little Sisyphean. Yeah, Sisyphean, good. Like, <laughs> like, what are you going to do? You going to scoop it all away? I don't think so, it's bud. Like, yeah, here it comes again. Um, he's written a couple of books, right? Like, this is his first book that he wrote. He's written another one since about um, the, the American West. Uh, but he makes most of his living as a freelance travel writer, right? So when you look him up, he's published something like 135 articles over the course of his career. Um, he's about my age. He graduated college about the same time I have. He's published pretty widely outside Men's Journal, Orion, Tricycle, like and- he's not on tiktok and (laughs) well apparently he's busy doing things um Ah. yeah he he says in one of his blurbs that when he's not at his desk he roams north america's libraries and wildlands which is just a lovely little blurb and the thing that he doesn't say but i will hear is he is a heck of a writer right like this book is so well written i enjoyed sorry you said heck wait he said heck Nick, mm-hmm. I, did you hear hack? I definitely heard hack. I thought you were oh, bearing yeah. the lead here. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I, he's I, a, I, I, that's awesome. I just okay. said hack so that I could. Oh. Sometimes that Wisconsin accent gets the best of us. No, I yeah, didn't want to do that Leith. I'm sorry. Let me read what I have in my notes here to, to remove yeah, stick any obscurity. To your script. Yeah, he is a <laughs> hell of a writer oh, is what I have in my notes. I decided it. against swearing at the, at the last second. Um, that's everything. That is absolutely everything I know about Leith Tonino. He starts out this book. Uh, this is a book of essays that vary wildly in length. The shortest essay in this book is two or three pages long. The longest essay in this book is like 60 pages long. It's like the last 25% of the book is one long essay. Yeah, they do that. Uh, <laughs> These essayists do that. That's a thing they yeah. do on purpose. Huh? Is he trying to be Cormac McCarthy? This sort of like, I refuse to talk to you about stuff. Is he Is, is he, he refusing? Or is he not being asked, Joe? (laughs) Whoa! Okay, so actually, I think it's I think it's kind of a combination of those things. Like one of the things that was really cool about reading this book is I feel like it's this rare thing that to come across, which is it is a a really freaking good book that b I feel like nobody has read Mm. right. Like when you look at reviews on Amazon, like it's got five star reviews. Like 20 people total have reviewed it. Like when you look at Goodreads, it has like 20 reviews on Goodreads, right? Like it is not a widely distributed or widely read book. I can only assume it's only for sale in Vermont gift shops. Um, (laughs) I had a hard time finding a copy of this book, Uh, but it was so good. It was so enjoyable and so beautifully written. What's it about, Joe? Yeah. So Leith Tonino, from what I can tell, graduated college and set out to work as a as a writer. I think he studied like philosophy in school, he talks about in one of his essays, and basically was super into nature. He moved out to the American West, where as everybody knows, all the nature is, kicked around a, a whole bunch out in the American West, and at a certain point wanted to come home. Wanted to come home to Vermont. And when he came home to Vermont, really started thinking, I think philosophically, about what it means to be from a place, right? Like he says, look, I super identify with Vermont. Like sure. I feel like Vermont is in me. I feel like yeah. I am part of Vermont and Vermont is part of me. What exactly am I trying to, what exactly is it that I'm grabbing onto here, right? Yeah. Like when I say Vermont is in me, what is that? What am I talking mm. about? And he couldn't answer that question. So he said, I'm going to take a year. I'm going to cross and crisscross Vermont. I'm going to try to answer that question of what is Vermont. And you just mean like in terms of like 
Is it the culture that I'm grabbing? The soul of the state. It, yeah. It's a cop out for me to say it's everything. Yeah, that is he a understands. Cop out. No, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Gonna, so, I'm not so I'm not going to say it. Let me back no, up. Well. He employs this metaphor of this animal that's a thousand miles long, right? And and you might be more familiar with like the 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 blind men feeling the elephant. We, this might be something that you've heard of before, where like one guy feels it and he says it's a snake, and another guy feels it and he says it's a tree because he's holding on to its leg, um, versus the guy that's holding his trunk, whatever. Mm-hmm. He says, "Well, look, I'm a nature writer." Right. Like that's how I've made my career. I am going to set out to see all the different angles of Vermont. Right. Like I'm going to I'm going to see Vermont by foot. And he set out and he hiked the entirety of the ridge of the um, the Green Mountains. Right. Like all 250 miles of it. Right. From from Massachusetts to Canada. He said, "Okay." I've seen it by foot. Now I'm going to go on a canoe trip with my dad and we're going to paddle for 250 miles and we're going to, and we're going to portage between lakes. Right. And now that I've seen it by canoe trip, I'm going to, I'm going to go on cross country skis with my buddy, like this super great athlete. And we're going to cross country ski it. And then he like swims the length of Lake Champlain at one point on a boogie board. Um, He flies over it in an airplane for four hours in this like ramshackle airplane where like the navigation equipment is held together by rubber bands. Like he tries, Tries to see it. Doesn't sound safe. It, it does not sound safe. He is not comfortable in that airplane. But he tries to see it from as many different angles as he can to put together something that approximates a total picture. Okay, I got to poke a hole in that because. Yep. You mean you mean physically? He wants to understand so, Vermont. I mean, because or or is it is he understanding the people too? He does set out to set to see it physically. Right. That is absolutely part of it. Um, he's got this wonderful piece. It's either in one of these essays or in something like something else that he had published, which is basically like he says, look, I'm going to talk about nature. And when I talk about nature, I'm not going to talk about like the sense that nature gives you. I'm not going to talk about how nature is like healing. I'm not going to talk about how nature is like like makes us feel whole. He says nature is made of its components. Right. Like nature okay. is where a mountain meets a meets a meets a lake like nature is how like um, trees go along the ridge of a mountain. Right. I am going to describe those things. And when I describe those things, I hope and I think and I feel that I'm describing something worthwhile. He talks about how comedians tell jokes in one of his essays. And I think it's a really interesting insight to how he thinks about nature. When comedians tell jokes to one another, when they're workshopping, when something, they do one of their bits, when they, yeah, right. With their, with their comedian friends, they will say, Hey, here's my promise. And they'll start telling the joke and they'll give the promise and they don't have all the details worked out. But then they say, is this anything like, is this anything? Mm-hmm. And he said, when I think about nature, and I think about my experiences hiking Vermont or, or in Yellowstone or whatever it is. He says, I have all these moments pop up. It's almost like these impressionistic moments. Like I think of watching a beaver swim in a pond where like there's only in winter where there's only some water that's not covered with ice. And then the beaver, instead of coming up in the open water, comes up through like this really thin layer of ice and just breaks right through it. And like that time I saw a beaver broke through breakthrough ice. And I ask myself, is this anything? And he said, the answer that I found is that it always is right. Like, like all of these little impressions that stick with you, right? Like all these little impressions, like the time that I picked up this um, acorn and there was a tiny snail living inside of it. And that felt important to me. Is this anything? Yeah, I think it is right. Like all these things that stitch together. So this book is him basically stitching together all sorts of moments of, is this anything, right? Like he tells us, gives us little snapshots and impressionistic images of what that canoe trip was like with his dad or like what it was like to hitchhike with, you know, 62 rides with 31 cars over the course. I'm sorry, 31 rides with 62 people over the course of, you know, three days, So what, what's like the point of the book? <laughs> is it just it, it's it almost seems like um, I'm going to try to tell a story without any sort of bias, right? Like, I'm just going to explain to you what I see and you can make up your yeah. own opinion. Or is he trying to convey that 
the things we see are somehow more important than just what we see. I don't. Yeah. Okay. That's a super good question because like there are people in this book and there's moments in this book where he interacts with Vermonters and he like, you know, drinks beer with them while ice fishing and whatever. But I feel like his narrative voice is not heavy handed in here. Like he very seldom comes out and says, this is what I think this experience means. Instead, he feels like a lens that you are seeing the state through. If I had a criticism of this book, um, a little bit of Tiffany's here, a little bit of two, two quick Tiffany's. If I had a criticism, his view of Vermont is super impressionistic, right? Like there's a lot of times where he gives you something and you think, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, I want to hear more. I wonder what, like, you know, I wonder, I wonder more about that. And then he moves on past it, right? Like he almost assumes a familiarity with Vermont that you as a reader might not have. Sequel. Right. I think that's it. Okay. Uh, Ian's, uh, has, Ian has that look on his face right I feel now. like I'm still missing a little bit to round this out a little for me, Joe. Ian, poke some holes in this. I'm not, okay, I'm not going to poke holes. I want to read a very, very, very short story by Wreck Jorge him. Luis Borges. No, <laughs> yep, okay. Yep. Well, <laughs> okay, I can, How short I can, is it? Do we even need to read it, it's Ian? I mean, I long. think we all know it. <laughs> do, you, do you know the story? No. Okay, so... The story, this is an extremely short story that Borges wrote. And basically the, the, the way it, the way it works is, um, it's a fable about a city, which was really good at map making. And they got so good at making maps that the map of a single state covered a whole city. The map of the whole country covered the entirety of a state. And eventually the map makers got to the point where they made a map that was of the whole city, of the whole country, the empire, that was the same size as the the country itself. And so eventually this map becomes so, it becomes larger than the thing it is representing. So I guess my question is, Joe. Is he he sniffing his own farts? Is he he striving? Is he striving so hard (laughs) to capture this, the nature of this? Maybe the book isn't Vermont sized, the Vermont's pretty small. Is he striving so hard to capture, to, 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 to plumb every detail matters that his map ends up being the same size as the thing it's a map of? Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's a super good. Yeah, no, it's a super good question. I uh, like Thank I would you. call this like, is, is he is he is he up his own ass? Is he sniffing his own farts? Um, is this well, like- I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that, but sure. <laughs> go ahead. OK, Ian, um, Ian is asking. What is this book trying to do? Love it. And, so, and how can um, how can it possibly succeed? Yep. Right. I have two answers for this. Okay. One is from friend of the show, uh, former guest of the show, Michael Branch, who is Love on it. the show once, uh, who blurbed this book, who, who has a little blurb for it. And he said, like, the crescendo of this delightful journey is the extraordinary final chapter in which the author roves the state doing all the stuff I talked about, hiking, hitchhiking, skiing, cycling, etc. He says... The result is a surprising, adventurous, open-hearted exploration that fully delivers on what Tonino rightly calls the, quote, inexhaustibility of home, right? So one of the things that Branch here is saying, and one of the things that I agree with is like, hey, he sets out to say like, the place that you're from is, it's multi-layered. There's a lot going on there, right? Part of that is physical, right? And and I think he would say it's much more than that. Part of that is physical. It, it, but like that exploration of home and what it means to be home, that part of Vermont that's in me that I de- identify as important, it is inexhaustible. The other piece I would say is he talks about the flight that he goes on. And it's really a compelling picture. And he said, he said, I saved the flight for last, right? Like as I was doing all of this other stuff, I had all of these maps to, to Jorge Borges story here. He said, I had all these maps that I was meticulously detailing my routes. Right. And they said, so I would have these blue lines on maps. And he said, um, excuse me if I read this just for a second. He said, I plotted all the routes and paths and tracks onto a single map, 
Blue threads, blue stories ran parallel, crisscrossed, bunched up, knotted, frayed out. They covered the ground as I had. Though my excursions have been characterized by openness and uncertainty, I've known from the outset how this project would end. October would disappear to the churn of seasons and be split back up, uh, spit back up 12 months later. Geese and leaves would fly and I would take to the air with them. I fantasized that after a solid year of exploration, I would rise from the folds of land. Those folds were creeks collect and we bend to drink specifics, um, details, this current, this pool to see Vermont all at once unified and whole. Even if it only lasted a second, I wanted to gather the threads of my journeys, braid them together, the impossible view, everything at once. My best chance was an airplane, right? So he's really saying like, I wanted to see Vermont as a whole. Like that was my goal. I wanted to see the entirety of the animal a thousand miles long as a whole, all at once, even if it was just for a second. This was my best crack at doing that. Is it about Vermont or is it about home? So I, or is it about, this is, or is it about him? Because my sense, my sense of Wisconsin, I think is different. I would consider Wisconsin to be my home. My sense of Wisconsin is different from yours, Joe, and it's different from Nick's. And that's in part because I'm a different person from you guys. I think this book is not about him, right? Like he feels it's not, not supposed to be about he, him. He feels he feels secondary. He, he feels secondary, yeah. right? Like he he almost never interjects. He is the lens that we see things through. So kind of like maybe Ian's unreliable narrator in his book, right? Like he's the lens that we're seeing this through. Like it is going to be tinted with the things that he cares about, the things that he looks at. He's the author. We get that. But does it have an overt yeah. message, Joe? The second piece that, that I would say here is, is this about home? Was that Nick's question? Well, that was yes. your words. The, the, those are his words. They're my words. No, they're but, my words now. No, wait, wait, those wait. Are my Who's words? words are first? <laughs> no. Is this about home? I think it absolutely is because when I read this book, one of the things that I wanted is I wanted this book to exist about Wisconsin. Right? Like, like yeah. that is what I wanted. I wanted this book, but somebody, you know, um, climbing Tim's Hill and swimming Lake Winnebago and like, and, and like biking through the North Woods, right? Like, that's what I wanted. And then the number two thing that I wanted is I kind of wanted to do this. Like mm -hmm. I wanted to do the stuff that he did. I wanted to hitchhike for a week all around the state aimlessly. I wanted to, you know, cross country ski, even though I've been cross country skiing once and it made me want to blow my brain. Like, like it's, it's terrible. Right. Uh, but like, that was the second thing is I wanted to do what he did. When you read this book, Joe. Yep. Does it make you feel uh, an, a greater appreciation for your own home? Or does it make you want to go to Vermont? Oh, oh, good. That's okay. Yep. Okay. This book secondarily makes me want to go to Vermont. <laughs> right, right. Like secondarily, like it makes me want to like walk, hike the same trails. That Vermont he isn't it, first for anybody. I think. It, it makes, it makes me want to swim Lake Champlain, right? Like that's, that's right. secondarily what this book does. Primarily though, it makes me more curious about Wisconsin and it makes me more curious about my home and like kind of wondering what the blue lines would be on my map if I were to do this. Gentlemen, welcome to Tiffany's A Safe Space. Free to tell me all the bad things about your book without it being held against you. Joe, can you go first? Yeah, the thing that I would say here is um, this book is... In especially the last essay, which is the biggest chunk of this book, is incredibly impressionistic. He never attempts to give us connection or to narrate. Um, he never attempts to commentate on the things that he's showing us in this last piece. When I read John Muir, one of the criticisms I had of John Muir is he is beautiful at the sentence level. But then beyond the sentence level, things break down. Like it almost gets exhausting to read. Right. I think Leith Tonino, he's, he is beautiful at the paragraph level like <laughs> this guy has mastered the paragraph like he's like i can't believe how much highlighting i've done in this book about just paragraphs where i'm like damn leith right however when he hangs them all together i think intentionally so it only it, it, it serves as a pointillism picture of vermont right and you get a feeling of the whole thing but i i kind of want more when I read it or, or more, more connection between the two or more narrative between the two. Uh, that's not like a that. bad thing. Uh, backhanded compliment. Ian, your turn. 
Um, I've talked on the show about my love for lore and for you endings and, and things kind of this Hobbits. book, this book suggests my book suggests it gestures. It doesn't resolve. And I think that's a beauty, but I also think that's super annoying. If you want, if you want clear <laughs> resolution, this book is not for you. Make a checklist. Yeah. Boy, these both sound pretty good and they're very different. These so are very different. different. Very other. true. Very yeah. true. I already, I already like my home enough. I don't need to read about it. Joe, you lose. Well, then can I pitch you on a book about Vermont? Um, <laughs> all right. Congratulations, Ian. Um, Leith Tonino, I, I super like this book. Um, he's written a bunch of really interesting Apologize articles. If you just want to Google now. his name. Yeah, uh, Leith, I am so sorry. I don't really get the sense that you're on the internet, so you'll never hear this. But um, if you are, reach out. I loved this book. I it was killer. We've had Mike Branch who blurbed your book on the show. We, we can have you leave. Come on. That's absolutely. true. That could be an in. We could reach out to Michael. Leave. Um, Get on or Mike. Here. Do you think he likes Mike? He likes Mike. I'm sure he likes Mike. Who doesn't like Mike Branch? He was like the most likable guy we've ever met. Let's reach out to Mike Branch and see if he'll, he'll bring Leith to on the show. Congratulations, Ian. Congratulations, Shirley Jackson. Um, Lidhead's Every week we bring a theme. If you would like to suggest one of those themes, suggest one of those books, the best spot you can do that is at you don't know lit podcast.com. The only spot. Um, the only spot. That you <laughs> well, can do it. I mean, you can suggest them elsewhere, but it will not work. The only. Sometimes people actually suggest themes to me face to face. It's kind of a common thing that happens with like people that I work with yeah. or like, like friends that listen to the show. And I, ju- and I always tell them like, do you know where you can suggest that? Is you don't know just that go to the website. I've had that too. I don't. Rem- I won't remember this conversation. <laughs> so if you can add an offer to you don't know the podcast.com, suggest a book, suggest a theme, request a sticky. You can follow us everywhere that you would expect. We're on TikTok. We're on Instagram. We're on the Reels. We're on everything. Uh, yeah, that's it. Congratulations, Ian. Um, well done. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and read the first chapter of this book, which are, is our introduction to Mary Cat, the um creepy no i'll be straight up she's creepy the creepy protagonist point of view character this gives you a sense of how she talks and and how and how creepy she is how um (laughs) how jackson kind of starts weaving this my name is mary catherine blackwood i am 18 years old and i live with my sister constance i have been often i have often thought that with any luck at all i could have been born a werewolf because the two middle fingers on both my hands are the same length, but I've had to be content with what I had. I dislike washing myself, and dogs, and noise. I like my sister Constance, and Richard Plantagenet, and Amanita Phalloides, the death cup mushroom. Everyone else in my family is dead. <laughs>